All right. This is Blackcast episode three, Our Hoteps and Yours, because I didn't know what else to name this podcast episode. But um, today uh, we're joined by... Oh. <laughs> I didn't know who you wanted to hand it off to. Was it, do you want to hand it off to Danzel or myself? Oh, I mean, I think like we're third episode in, so like you know, I'm like me and Nadal the host, so people know who we are. Okay, yeah, no, okay, so uh, I'm David Pino. That's P I N O, and uh, I'm here to join these uh, folks here to talk about the hotels. Yeah, Ooh, let's get it cracking. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, we don't really, like, have to, I mean, you wanted to introduce, I mean, do you want to say anything more about yourself in, in general? Okay. Like, if you want to. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, my name is David Pino. I'm from uh, Sacramento, California, uh, a.k.a. the capital, a.k.a. the boring-ass city in North I was about Cal. to just talk so much shit about Sacramento. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, what you ain't said anything that I haven't said, okay, so let's, let's just get that clear, you know, um, but uh, yeah, so I'm from Sacramento, California. Um, you know, I uh, know the homie Denzel. Um, I was kind of his uh, mentor slash friend back at uh, you know, back in the days. That was about seven years ago, which Denzel reminded me when we just started. And I'm feeling hella old as a result of that. But um, yeah, uh, I spent some time as a teacher. Um, I taught my alma mater for a minute before, you know, they started tripping, you know, charter school shit. So what do you expect? But um, currently, I am doing a podcast project, a six-part miniseries on the infamous Rampart scandal that took place in the uh, late 90s for the LAPD. Um, I am also, of course, doing a, you know, it's an exhaustive history of uh, racial and racist abuse at the uh, LAPD as well as corruption. So uh, I'm going to plan on releasing that this March. But yeah, I'm just uh, passionate about this, uh, these kinds of things. And um, yeah. I mean, if there's anything else y'all want to know or y'all want the audience to know. I'm, I'm glad that you brought, I mean, like, I don't think, uh, thank you for promoting yourself because I don't think I give a, like, out of space or room for most people. Or <laughs> I, I don't think about doing that. A lot of people promote at the end of the uh, podcast, not not the beginning because, you know, people trail out at the end. So they usually like, oh, stop yeah. listening. So, you know, you don't hear the self-promotion. So it's good that you did that. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> no problem. Um, no problem. I don't know, Denzel, anything else? Uh, I mean, not too much else. I mean, we're just excited to have Pino on today. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it. I, I haven't, haven't seen the guy in about seven years, but I just follow you loosely through uh, social media and whatnot. So it's been yeah. cool to see, be updated on what you have. And like, yeah, I think you're pretty, pretty well situated to talk about this. I mean, this is a, a, a topic just to give the normal jazz Denzel conversation uh, background as, as usual goes with our podcast. Like, we, I feel like we, we talk a lot about hotepness, but like out of all the things that I think, or we've only talked about two things so far on the podcast, but it's sort of semi-esoteric. Like I think a lot of people in the black community maybe know of hotep. Some people know, and like some people at least know of it or around it, but like hotep is kind of something you have to explain to someone who's not in the black community and or just, there's just like a lot of depth to it. So it's like... Um, excited to get into that yeah it's like um i think i remember i think you showed me the podcast from uh i think it was the weeds and jane coaston was on there right and yeah. i think was it the, who's the guy that like who hosted basically uh, Matt? Matt Iglesias. Matt Iglesias. Yeah. he's just like oh, ah yeah. he's like he's yeah. like i don't really know if i should care about this you know and uh, i was just like yeah but man they're like bombing people at this point I and mean, just like not hotels i think they're black israelites but like um it's like people don't think that it's a big deal, but because it's, I guess it's like, it's a minority inside a minority. So it's like, 
people don't yeah. see that being a big deal, but like, you know, they could, it's definitely important to talk about and definitely like to point these things out. Um, cause, uh, it's, it's very frustrating. It gets into your life in a weird way. Like, you know, you'll, you'll have someone that seems like they're really just like, oh yeah, you know, they're Afrocentric. They like, they're like, they're black conscious. They're just like, yeah, you know, like f fight, fight the power and like, you know, like we need to educate black folks and all this other stuff. But then they're just like, yeah, buy my, uh, buy my like shea butter that's made out of this from this country and then <laughs> yeah. then, then it turns into the jews, the yeah. jews. or it's, or it's the like jews. should Always. women really have rights <laughs> if they bleed yes. more than one time in the month they are cursed hey some of them don't believe that women actually should have periods they, one of them said that periods are a european doctrine so you know i mean there's all kinds of diversity of opinion there, but it's just not the good kind. So, you know, <laughs> but um, I, I guess what I want to first, let's do a like uh, not oversimplification, but sort of a definition of what a hotep or maybe the just black nationalists are. Do we want to do black nationalists, hotep, and then maybe the, de the like just to give a sort give a semi outline for the listener, like what we're going to talk about, I guess. So, like, yeah. Let's go ahead, Pino. Yeah, I mean, okay. Um, I, I can kind of start with uh, some of the definitions uh, just in case people, you know, aren't uh, caught up in it. I'm not going to say woke because I know people use that as a pejorative nowadays or as um, a journalist once said, some people use woke with a hard ER, but, you know, that's <laughs> uh, what it is, yeah. right? But, um, yeah, so Black nationalism is a, a very particular... Um, form an ideology, a thought that um, preaches self-determination and um, strong cultural um, uh, promotion of uh, Black American people. Sometimes this can be a more pan-African. So, you know, we're talking about Black people abroad, you know. Um, nationalism tends to be more conservative, not necessarily as we think of conservatism, you know, uh, within the United States as in Republicans, although there are um, yeah, black nationalism tends to be kind of the providence of like people like um, Marcus Garvey or Booker T. Washington, who was more of an economic nationalist, but a black nationalist regardless. Um, Martin Delaney, who kind of came up with the uh, idea, and he was a uh, old Civil War soldier and theologian who created the first black back to Africa movement. Um, back uh, before the Civil War even started. So Black nationalism is a very, it, it's kind of, it's broad, but, you know, to understand it more generally, that's essentially what it is. Now, um, Hotep, okay, is in, okay, in truth, there's not necessarily a, such a thing as like a generally accepted or mainstream idea of what a hotep is, right? Yeah. A hotep is a pejorative term that was used to um, decry and, um, you know, essentially um, criticize those who advocate a certain form of pseudo-nationalism, you know, or even just like extreme right-wing black nationalism. So, you know, um, that's where, and, and at first I think entered uh, common online usage um, around 2015, I wanna say, and then uh, it's, it's kind of just been there um, ever since, particularly on black Twitter, right? Although some people have reappropriated the term as we'll talk about later, but yeah. So, um, and then of course the term Hotep is actually ancient Egyptian, you know, uh, or Kemetic as uh, they used to call themselves. And uh, it means to be at peace essentially, so. 
Yeah, that's where the term comes from. And we they use the term hotep because a lot of them are, you know, um, use uh, ancient Egyptian imagery and uh, to promote themselves, these pseudo-nationalists, essentially. Weird, um, weird freaking subculture. That's like, it's, it's a weird yeah. subculture of black culture that hides itself in like black liberation, but truly it's like just, you know, hetero, like patriarchy or yep. like yeah um i guess the next thing i want to talk about is, is like sort of our roots uh, not 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 the roots of black nationalism which we'll get into but like uh sort of where maybe an anecdote or like where we found ourselves interested in this i mean whoever wants to go first they can um but i don't know like yeah just where, like raise your hand if you want to go first I mean, maybe denzel actually i kind of want to know um <clears throat> I mean, I think this, you know, it's, it's, it's really, what's really funny today, just to share a short anecdote. It's like, I, I was on a walk today with uh, some, some colleagues from Goldman or just some friends from Goldman. And with the concept of hoteps came up and I'm like, that's so funny because we were literally doing a podcast on this <laughs> later today. But I was really trying to think through, I'm like, huh, like someone asked a question, like, what is a hotep? And I was trying to think through like, what what is a character usually i try to relate to boondocks characters because i feel like the boondocks <laughs> generally tries to typify different types of black people um and like you see some things in huey but i don't feel like huey quite fits it and then someone brought up they're like it's basically a more extreme version of dave Chappelle's character in undercover brother and i'm like you know like huh. i feel like that yeah. that, yeah. that kind of yeah. fits like yeah. that that basically <clears throat> fits right there and I think what interests me is it's like, I didn't even know about, I, I learned the, the Hotep term kind of similar to what Pino was saying probably a couple of years ago, like maybe 2016-ish, like knew the term. But I think it's just something I saw in the community. And maybe I would, I don't know if I would say there are people in my family who are Hoteps, but a lot of the ideas, um, and this might be some topics seeping into each other, but like of black nationalism or some ideas that I see espoused by Hoteps, I see in family or I, I see, especially see in community members sometimes just like having chats with like community members um, throughout Oakland. So it, it's something that's interesting to me to because I don't know how many people would necessarily like directly identify as Hoteps, but I think the ideology to me at least might have a, a semi broad reaching um impact i think on on the black community writ large and we can kind of get into that so that's that's what what interests me um a lot and i think just to talk a little bit i, I don't have too much academic background in this but I, I did take a black political thought course um when i was an undergraduate and i definitely remember our kind of like uh, our section focusing on black nationalism and, and marcus garvey and kind of the back to africa movement and things like that and you know, nationalism interests me, but I, I, I think I oftentimes, um, we can get into this a bit later, but like I find myself kind of hesitant with black nationalism sometimes or just thinking about it because oftentimes nationalisms of various countries, you know, this is at least what we learned and there's debate about this, but they're often exclusionary, right? Like there is, there is a national group, there's like an identity, uh, whether it be racial or something, a group forms an identity and you form your nation and what's comprised in that nation, there's a certain group of people who are in, and then, you know, there's an out group that's out, and you got to make sure you suppress that kind of fifth column um, out group. And I, I definitely see a lot of that um, in Black nationalist thinking. So uh, that's that's it for me. Maybe, Pino, you could uh, you kind of talk about your experience. I mean, um, I guess my experience, I, I, I suppose like a lot of Black folks, we all know, you know, or grew up around, you know, 
who, who the people whom we now refer to as hoteps, you know, um, generally speaking, those are the, like you said, basically the more extreme versions of conspiracy brother, you know, so it's like, um, yeah, um, what had happened was, uh, you know, these people are up to this and X, Y, Z. And um, so I kind of grew up around a lot of that, but I suppose I took an interest into it. Um, it actually kind of started around 2015, 2016. Um, and it was, I don't even remember what it was. I think it was like Sarah Sutton Seti, one hotel like person, and he was getting in a beef with like Dr. Umar Johnson. And, um, you know, which was one of the most hilarious things ever that I ever saw. Cause then Umar started talking to him like he was like a WWE type wrestler. You know, he was like, you dirty nigga, you know, you dirty nigga, you know, I'm I'm six foot five, I'm with a belly, but I'm comfortable in my skin. You dirty, you know, and it was just this complete overperformance, you know, of, um, you know, this kind of nonsense. And, but um, what, you know, really got me into it or what really got me like focused there was uh, I just kept seeing a lot more um, prominent like uh, anti-Semitic um, things as well as of course, you know, various homophobic and transphobic ideologies and sexism. <clears throat> and then, so I just did a rant, you know, essentially on YouTube about it. And, uh, you know, about Hoteps or the Ankh right as some of as it's Oh, I've called. never heard that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's <Ankh> good. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like the alt right, but yeah, the Ankh right. And so, um, yeah. Um, but so when I went on a rant about that, I actually attracted the attention of a guy named uh, Nick, who's from Australia, no, not Australia, uh, New Zealand. And um, he had done some video essays on the alt right. And so he then reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to do a video essay on the Hoteps, you know, and because it was the first time that he had really got to see, you know, like to really hear about them because, you know, New Zealand, right, like, not going to find too many black nationalists there, but, um, you know, of any kind, let alone Hoteps. And so we teamed up and we, uh, I did the voiceover, he did like the videography and everything. And, uh, you know, and of course I was able to organize it every, or he organized it all, but I organized like the script, the narration to it. And it got like, I think it's still on there and it has like over 50,000 views and that attracted a lot of attention uh, to the both of us. And, uh, you know, and because it, it was, it is this really fascinating topic to get into. And, um, you know, some of the feedback was obviously pretty good, pretty positive. Some people were kind of surprised how crazy some of these folks can be. And then of course others, um, you know, accused me of being a uh, stool pigeon for the white man. Um, oh yeah, I'm ran by uh, homosexual Jews or I am a homosexual. You know, it's just all this really weird random shit, you know, that I was just being accused of being. But it just goes to show how, you know, deep and toxic this cult this subculture can be and also there is there does seem to be a lot of interest within this topic so um that's kind of how i got tied into all this hotep nonsense but i mean you could really go back to when i was just young like we we all knew people that were like this we, we just didn't have a name for them you know except eccentric or you know uh whatever it is so <clears throat> yeah um so I guess, thank you. And I think for my background, incredibly, I think it's like incredibly personal. I didn't ask the person uh, for permission to tell them their story. So I'm not going to use the name. Um, but basically someone very close to me was definitely dating a hotep or like, it's it's weird. He, I think he went from, I think, uh, I think he went from like 
<clears throat> is like sort of religious and political thought went from like sort of like not conservative Christian, but just kind of like going towards agnostic to um, to uh, I think he tried to become Buddhist and then uh, then he found himself in um, found himself in Islam and then uh, and then he like dropped out of that and uh, went straight into tapestry. Don't know how. Um, <laughs> don't, don't, I mean, like it's it, it, he he was a very toxic guy, uh, did not like Asian people. Um, people who were listening, maybe Pino, I'm actually, my, my background is, I have Asian heritage, I mean, I'm like, I'm half Filipino, like, it's, and he, and this guy, this person would say mm-hmm. mean things about my family and say, say toxic stuff, and it's just like, ah, you're a bad person, it's because you align yourself with <clears throat> uh, weird toxic tapestry. Um, that's, that's where it sort of started, I mean, even, even before that, I think, during that time, actually, I was taking a african-american studies class and it was just like the teacher was not a hotep but he was definitely leaning towards that like he's just like yeah you know all these cultures stole our identity and like you know like here's this book about the black god or something like that or like something weird and i just remember the uh, the guy that i'm talking about that was dating someone that i knew um that hotep guy he was actually reading the same book and i was like oh are all these african-american studies teachers like working together in the community college system to like turn people into hoteps is that what's happening it's scary that's why i'm saying this is important to talk yep. about um other thing is which we'll get into is uh, youtube my dad for some reason i don't know why maybe because we ran out of cable or we stopped using i think we cut the cord he started watching youtube videos right because he had nothing else to do so what does that happen he <laughs> he, he i think he, i think his interest was like watching car mod videos and then black car like black ownership videos like oh yeah these guys own like a big house and they own like three houses and like 10 cars that's cool and then goes into somehow the rabbit hole goes down into hotepetry you know it's like it's either you watch a political video it either goes like depending on like i think it's based on skin color if you watch like white people can like political thought it goes to nazis right or mm-hmm. all right and then uh when it comes to black people if you watch black people stuff it goes to the ankh right which is like a perfect term uh, <laughs> i love that we talking about this it's great i just have to note that the term onk right sounds like a, a right-wing group of yu-yo players it sounds like people who are <laughs> really into like yu-yo lore <laughs> and are also super racist um, i don't know why it's mean, you, you mean the yu-gi-oh fan base <laughs> oh man wow Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Um I think I just I think I'm gonna get a lot of hate from you guys. <laughs> they, hey, they're gonna pull that dark wizard card on y'all and you know, hey, it's, it's game over after that, allegedly. So <laughs> that I'm just a, a side note about Yu-Gi-Oh! This is like the weirdest, like like it, it seems like it was written by Hotep. Like if you <laughs> No, it's so weird. It's like, you know, the pharaohs had these powers over monsters, and these three gods were commanded by his might. And I was just like, what the fuck? And, like, and they don't do the Japanese bullshit where they, like, make the Egyptians, like, or, like, because, okay, so they, like, you know, they don't do the thing where they, like, make the Egyptians white for for no reason, you know? They they don't do that. You know what they did? They made them brown. They had spiky hair and stuff like that. They still made them brown. And I was like, this is kind of cool. They look kind of dope. What's up with this guy's obsession with Egypt? That's just a side thing about uh, <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh. yu is interesting. It looks like a... Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess we're going to go into uh, history of, I guess, black nationalism. Um, who wants to start off with that? And how should we start with that? Honestly, it's, like, difficult. 
Yeah. Um, I, I kind of did. Uh, I, I could start um, if it's if you're good with that, Denzel. Um, because uh, I, and we kind of I kind of went over, you know, or kind of did a little bit of general uh, sense of what it was, right? Like when I started talking about uh, black nationalism and Hotep tree, but um, so black nationalism is an ideology that's you know pretty much been around since slavery, right? So since before the Civil War. But it um, gained, it didn't have any real um, juice to it until the 20th century with uh, two different um, thought leaders, right? So um, to start, right? So the early 20th century and or late 19th, early 20th, right? So I had mentioned Martin Delaney, uh, the guy who made a major in the United States Army. And um, obviously he was one of the first kind of to go the back to Africa movement didn't really have that much um, steam uh, per se. Um, but the big one was, uh, the big two, I should say, it started kind of with Booker T. Washington, right? Who espoused a, a very conservative economic uh, capitalist nationalism uh, type philosophy, right? So he didn't believe that the key to black liberation was um, necessarily black, um, you know, political, um, like gaining more black political, creating a political class through um, economics and through capitalism and through uh, particularly within throughout the South and agricultural, um, you know, type work, because a lot of black people who were living in the South were sharecroppers. And so it was like, how about instead of being sharecroppers on somebody on a white man's farm, let's own our own farms. And he took that philosophy very seriously because he created Tuskegee Institute, you know, um, which was, uh, you know, not the first uh, HBCU, historically black college or university, um, but it was, you know, at that time during the 19th and early 20th century, probably the biggest before, you know, Howard really took off. But um, yeah, so he was kind of the early proponent in, of that. Um, he wanted, you know, yeah, capitalism, wealth uh, accumulation, and he believed that that was the key to um, black liberation. You know, because instead of focusing on, you know, political power and integrating with uh, white people, let's just, you know, create, you know, something where we are so powerful economically to where we're going to have, and I hate using this term, a seat at the table, or where we're going to, um, you know, basically earn our respect from white people. You can kind of know where the origin of respectability politics, you know, pretty much ties into this idea of black nationalism, particularly with uh, Booker T. But um, and of course, his main proponent you know, or his main opponent, uh, I should say, uh, or his main critic of that was W.E.B. Du Bois, whom at the time espoused kind of a similar theory, um, you know, the talented 10th uh, idea. So instead of uh, economics, you know, we do, uh, you know, like a, a more education uh, political elite class. So let's have a bunch, instead of a bunch of economic elites who lead us into, you know, prosperity and freedom, we have a bunch of educated elites who, and educated, you know, and uh, political elites who lead us to freedom. So there were basically two sides of the same coin. Um, although Du Bois had a more liberal integrationist idea to start, to start. Um, he was not that way after the 1920s. He then became more of a Pan-African revolutionary socialist because he understood the error of um, believing that an elite class of any kind was going to lead to liberation because that's not, you know, because um, elites typically don't 
operate in that uh, way. But let's but put, putting aside Du Bois, um, the big the other one, of course, who followed in Booker T's idea of um, of uh, you know black nationalism, but you know took it to a much more Pan African um, or gave it a much more Pan African flavor was Marcus Garvey, who you know was born in Jamaica, was not born in the United States, but but understood the potential that a black American elite class, you know, an activist kind of centering could have for, you know, uh, black people worldwide. And he, of course, believed in a lot of the same things that Booker T believed in. He believed in capitalism, uh, economic empowerment, you know, or as we call it nowadays, black, uh, black capitalism. But he was what you know we now call a black Zionist, you know, not a black person who supports Israel. A black Zionist is someone who believed in you know or believes in repatriation or you know um, black people going quote back to Africa. As to where in Africa, some of them are pretty specific. West Africa, particularly Nigeria or Liberia, you know, which Liberia, of which of course started off as a um, you know, a bunch of ex-slaves who went back, you know, and was uh, created by the United States, more or less. But uh, Garvey wanted to, um, did not believe that it was possible for Black people to have, you know, um, any type of freedom or any type of liberation or any type of dignity in a uh, white, a virulent white supremacist nation that the United States was and arguably still is, not arguably, but definitely still is. But um, his idea was that, yeah, let's have black people from the United States go back and then we can kind of create, you know, our own, you know, kind of empire, more or less, you know, and he sought to achieve this through a company that he created called the Black Star Shipping Line, which went under after he uh, was investigated for mail fraud and uh, convicted for like uh, basically stealing a bunch of people's money. But they're the ideological forefathers of what this Hotep movement, or excuse me, black nationalism is. Um, and then of course, their influence could be definitely felt in a later movement that took a more religious dimension known as the Nation of Islam, you know, um, first under Wallace Fard, who um, later uh, disappeared after 1930. And then of course, Elijah Muhammad, who then, you know, Wrote, you know, brought it to more prominence, you know, particularly in the Midwest and Detroit, Chicago, you know, which uh, had a, which both had a uh, burgeoning population of black people as a result of the uh, first great migration. And uh, of course it reached, uh, you know, arguably their peak, you know, under or with Malcolm X as, you know, their uh, number one star minister um, before, of course, their uh, acrimonious uh, split, you know, in uh, 64. But so you can kind of point to th those, these very, um, Black nationalism is definitely a byproduct of early 20th century, um, you know, liberation practices and movements um, that sought to meld um, Black liberation with uh, capitalist um, understandings, as well as, um, you know, what was happening, at, you know, on a more global scale, um, racialized or uh, yeah, racialized uh, or ethnic nationalism, you know, as we saw with, uh, of course, extreme example, like in, um, you know, Nazi Germany at the time. And then, of course, uh, also with, with uh, Zionism proper, which is just another form of Jewish nationalism. So it, 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 it's all kind of tied into that. But yeah, that's kind of how the whole movement started. But you can point to Booker T, Marcus Garvey, 
and then the Nation of Islam as being like the ones who really spearheaded it throughout and uh, created it to the form that we recognize today. And yeah, I, I think uh, like Pino did an excellent job of just kind of like setting it up, setting us up and, and grounding things. And I think just to fill in some additional context for, for all of them, um, I think Jazz, you might have saw I posted uh, some things uh, deriding Booker T. Washington earlier, just kind of a funny W.B. Du Bois things the other day. But to, to give, I guess, recognition or, or, or just kind of note, like I think as we see with many um, forms of black ideology jazz, and I think we talk about this regardless of how toxic or problematic it is, many forms of black ideology are formed in the, the cauldron of white supremacy, like in the response to just the grinding pressures of white supremacy. I mean, Booker T. Washington, I believe he was born a slave, um, just yeah. came, came from the South um, during an extremely difficult time for, for African-Americans. And, and Washington, he, he is famous for uh, his Atlanta compromise speech in which he essentially, cause he Booker T. Washington, I think was basically considered like, even though we, we, they talk about this, right? Like what is the black community? But like he was considered one of the most prominent leaders in the black community in the late um, 19th or late, yeah, late yeah. 19th century. Um, and, you know, in the Atlanta compromise speech, he talked about, as you know, said, essentially focusing on kind of economics and uh, self-determination uh, and kind of building within rather than integration or just trying to challenge the political oppression of the system. But kind of important to recognize that like that was one way or like one strain of thought that developed to this like intense grinding, crushing uh, pressure of racism at the time um, to, to talk a bit about Booker T. Um, it's W.B. Du Bois. It's, it's really fascinating. I'm like, I look back at the history of W.B. Du Bois and, and, and uh, Martin Luther King and like the, the phrase that they're that's often applied to both of them is like disillusioned liberal. I'm like, fuck, I'm like the boys in MLK. Like they were disillusioned <laughs> liberals who became socialists towards the end of their lives. Um, yeah. But, but um, that, like all really interesting. And, and, and again, yeah, with, with Garvey, um, you know, when, when we see the, the black nationalist movement, I mean, all, oftentimes nationalist movements, again, it's, they're based on the, on the, for, there's a formation of an identity and an idea of a nation state. Um, and, you know, ultimately people kind of fight to create that. I mean, it's interesting following World War I, we saw a lot of the rise of this conception in Europe, but, you know, we see it a little bit, you know, roughly around the same time with uh, black nationalism. Um, and, you know, there, there have been competing ideas. I remember we talked about this in my course um, about, you know, some folks call for return to Africa. And I think some folks actually called what's, what's interesting, uh, Jazz, like called for mm -hmm. essentially the creation of like a black state within the United States, like a kind of partition of land within the U.S. that we be, literally become a black nation and would be surrounded, you know, by the United States just to kind of um, deal with this. Um, so, yeah, all of that is to say, like, you know, the, these ideas were kind of founded in response to racism. And oftentimes I feel that you find a more segregationist, at least in my opinion, strain amongst black nationalists. And like, yeah. they're not really in favor of kind of the liberal integrationist approach as espoused by WB Du Bois or MLK. Um, it's more of a like, do our own thing and be self-sufficient um, in order to overcome racism. I I, I, so looking at the context we have with the history now, I'm just thinking about because um, I brought up the nation of Islam. I think in our like sort of outline, um, what do you like uh, before we? Because I want to before we go into like YouTube's role, I feel like we need to talk about uh, like what made these movements 
stay alive? Was it just like, is it just black nationalist, like capitalist thought that was just like keeping them pushing? Or was it really just like they needed need like some sort of religion to actually boost it? Because I feel like adding some sort of culture, some sort of mythology to it, some sort of like that, that just like makes a bigger movement or just make it, has a bigger impact on people. That's why I want to talk about that. Yeah, um, I suppose that is actually part of the reason why it may have, why Black nationalism got its boost as well as it did is because, yeah, there was a more um, spiritual underpinning to it, you know, when the Nation of Islam came about. Now, um, it's, it's interesting because I guess you could say the Nation of Islam was that for you know uh, quite a while especially under malcolm x you know who just knew how to deliver the greatest speeches and draw up and really draw crowds and you know um really uh force people to understand what the united states actually was at the time and of course also you know even though there and there would be differences with his approach versus like say the mainstream nation of islam when uh you know, versus their approach, which is what led to their split, you know, in 64. Um, but I do think that, yeah, the kind of, the kind of mythology to it, you know, um, and we see this a lot with certain cults and certain other um, aspects, you know, of uh, government or politics is something that it appeals a lot, you know, to a society in modernity, you know, so like the crisis of modernity, the idea that what happens when you don't have the same level of, um, what happens when you don't have the um, theological proof or the uh, same level of, uh, you know, like the same investment in traditional churches and religions, right? And because religions have to evolve, you know, they can't necessarily stay as they are, right? Otherwise, it, it would just, it, it would just fall apart, right? It'd be like, you know, worshiping Zeus again, all of a sudden. But what the Nation of Islam did is they don't con they didn't necessarily concern themselves with uh, certain as aspects of mysticism, right? So they don't believe in an afterlife, for example. They believe that when you die, you just blink out of existence. They do believe that there is a supreme creator, but they will also believe that you know everybody is invested in the power of the supreme creator. You know, hence the black man is God. You know, and or sometimes the black woman is God. And um, that, you know, appealed a lot to some people who were living in the inner cities and, you know, particularly those in the Rust Belt or on the East Coast and sometimes in, uh, the, on the West Coast, um, you know, to the Black people that had been migrating there. Um, and I think its appeal was that it didn't try to overwhelm you with the idea that this thing happened 2000 years or whatever it was, or that this very magical thing will happen. It's something you have to be invested in and then power through it. And because it does have that sort of, it, it, it wields, it melds um, self-determination with spirituality uh, for a political goal, which um, is in many ways very appealing to folks. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's as best as I can kind of um, explain why, you know, it, it had the appeal that it did, other than the fact that, you know, because when you had, you know, someone like Malcolm X talking about, you know, we got to fight back and we got to do this and people advocating for self-defense and, you know, violence as well um, to varying degrees, 
that that was a lot more appealing than just simply laying back and taking it, you know, or um, what was happening, what they were seeing happen in Birmingham or at Selma or, you know, where the dogs are unleashed and the fire hose and, you know, people getting killed. And it's like, no, let's just, let's shoot back instead, you know, like, and for some people that was the appeal for the nation of Islam, even though they were never really that, you know, kind of armed paramilitary force, really. I mean, they just kind of, pretended like they were, whereas the Black Panther Party, which is not a black nationalist party, you know, were actually willing to go, you know, shoot it out with the cops and everything. So, yeah, I mean, that's probably as best as I can break it down. I, I think Denzel probably could say it better than I can, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have too much to add there specifically on the nation, um, nation of Islam front. I think, uh, you know, you know, that summed it up pretty well. Yeah, I guess what I was just really getting into was just like how, uh, adding some sort of like mythology just bolsters these movements. I mean, like every one of them, I yeah. see but the strongest ones, like, like we talk about Hoteps, talk about uh, like uh, black Israelites. They just have some sort of weird reformation or like they sort of like, you know, put black people at the top inside yeah. the religion and just say, Hey, this one phrase from this right here says that, yeah, we're like, you know, the original people are black. So we have, yeah. we have yeah. realty in everything ever. And yeah. that's what gives us power. And I think that's what attracts people. You know, that's definitely attracts, yeah. to, yes. attracts yeah. specifically yeah. black people. It sounds really bad to say, but it's because, I mean, to understand why it attracts, uh, or, uh, so it attracts, attracts uh, black people because like, you know, feel sort of powerless and it's just, yeah, that's where we find our power. I mean, I think I definitely found some power in the thought of, well, that, yeah, what if Jesus was black? You know, like something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, uh, I think you said, yeah, you hit it on the nail on the head. I was trying to say that, but I just, anyway. Um, no, but you're absolutely right. I mean, because when you have a, when you center black people in something, you know, that is supposedly positive or powerful in a nation that did the absolute most to push us to the absolute edge. I mean, that has to be, you know, a mind fuck, you know, it's almost like, okay, no, what if the black man is God? What if, you know, the, in fact, the original people were black. And according to Nation of Islam theology, right, or mythology, it was an evil scientist who created white people who were supposed to be a slave race. And then, of course, and um, oh, by the way, they also had tiny dicks back then because they weren't supposed to procreate. And then, but then he was so evil that then they rose up as an albino race. And that's, and then they oppress us. And all the, as soon as you know this and understand this, you know, then you will be powerful enough to reclaim your rightful place as masters of the universe. I'm was, sorry. Was, was, that, was that from was that from Yakub? Is that the whole Yakub thing? Yeah, Yakub. Yeah. Okay. So, Yacoub. uh, where does that like lie into? Which mythology does that lie into? Is that, is that nation of Islam or is that? That's uh, nation of Islam. Nation okay. of Islam. Yeah. Uh, yep. So you yep. pretty much you really went fast through that whole thing. That's a whole thing that my dad was like watching on YouTube for a while. He just got like, man, it's Yakub guy. He just made white people or like something. I was yep. just like. On the island of Madagascar. Yeah, on the island of Madagascar. <laughs> it's like, it's like you, you got all this, laboratory. all this history. It's, it's in the books, guys. I'm like, what it's books? so <laughs> fascinating because, like, immediately as you say, I, I didn't know that it specified to the island of Madagascar. I'm like, this just like it reminds me of Scientology, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. you know these 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 advanced spaceships, what's kind of look like DC 47s. Uh, like, yeah. It's just like, but I, I think to to get to relate this to just generally like different political topics. I mean, I think having a, a narrative is so helpful for people either, whether it's an iridescence movement or 
just in general for people to create a political movement, that narrative helps fuel uh, the movement. I mean, I, 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 this is stepping a bit out of like black political theory, but, you know, following World War One, right? You know, the idea that essentially Jewish soldiers and Jewish officers backstabbed the German nation and the German mm-hmm. military, which kind of, there is already latent uh, anti-Semitism throughout Europe, but oh, like yeah. that ideology, even though many, you know, Jewish soldiers had fought for Germany in World War One, kind of permeated it and, you know, helped facilitate Hitler's rise to power, right? Like this kind of um, myth or, you know, you see the lost cause myth in the South, you know, just, just these different, uh, myths and, and narratives kind of help drive movements and political thinking. Like those are, are, are crucial aspects of motivating people to action or having people think that something was stolen from them and they want to reclaim it, um, yeah. to get back to that past glory. Absolutely. And, uh, I had brought that up also that comparison, um, in the video that I did, you know, a few years ago, where, yeah, essentially what you find is that um, nationalists pretty much, or ethnic nationalists particularly, tend to recycle various myths, you know, from other nationalist groups, you know, and it's, 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 uh, in many ways, very disturbing, because then, as you'll find out with what the Nation of Islam does, and as all these other groups do, they tend to blame some of this exact same people. So whether it's, you know, the Aryan ideal, the Aryan idea of, as you said, the being stabbed in the back by these Jewish soldiers, or whether it's the idea of these evil white devils, you know, who control the world, you know, all have a, all wear the star of David, or whether it's QAnon who believes in that a bunch of, that this elite, that these group of cosmopolitan elites are eating children or like they all tend to blame some of the exact same people. And, um, but as a result, they're able to create and ferment this sort of mythology that grants these various people who feel like they've lost something into regaining something and being something greater than what they really are, you know? So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a very important point to bring up. Um, you know, Jazz, I think uh, it would be great to get into to the types of Hotep um, piece, but I think just quickly touching on Pino said, I was talking about this with a friend the other day and, you know, just to to sum it up, it's like essentially if there is a conspiracy theory at play or some, uh, you know, large theory that's unraveled, you know, who's at the heart of it? It's almost always comes down to, yeah, so basically it's the Jews. Like essentially like that is, that is like, uh, you know, at least in global kind of Western thought, like, uh, it almost always comes. Yeah, I don't even know if I could limit it to Western, but like it always kind of comes down. Well, um, we'll to we'll it. get to anti-Semitism. <laughs> I think by yeah, we'll get to the podcast. I definitely think we should probably make an episode just about anti-Semitism and yeah. Oh yeah, I probably have part two of this. Fuck it. I mean, um, <laughs> but I guess we'll, the wind blows. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to get into YouTube YouTube's role, but I guess so we can sort of throw that in as we go because I know we talked about how. Uh, we brought up like when Hoteps became more mainstream talk on the internet. I guess it was like 2015, right? 14, 15. Uh, I mean, well, if you we started calling them that in 2015, but I, I would say they've been around. Oh, they've been know, around. In terms of yeah, they've been around yeah, forever. Been around, but it's just like they've been around. But like, yeah, in terms of popularity on the internet, you could kind of go back to 2012 after the Trayvon Martin, you know, um, his murder by George Zimmerman. Interesting. But, um, 
I mean, because that's when you started seeing a lot of uh, content being spread, um, you know, through the internet and uh, a very particular DVD series known as Hidden Colors. And there's oh like, man, there's been like what seven of them, you know, all of them have been terrible, but like they got more popular and increased in sales, you know, when a lot of that was happening, really during the advent of Obama being president. But um, you know, I, I would say. Probably, yeah, when Zimmerman came about, that's when you started seeing a lot of these kind of Hotepian kind of figures. And then they reached a fever pitch, as you said, Jazz, in 2015. So, yeah, I mean. Then let's uh, let's go get into the types of Hotep, because I see we have a couple. And yeah. they're <laughs> very, like, I think what good thing we should do is try to, like, show, like, we got to explain to the, the listener like and the viewer, like, how to identify them and what they usually yeah. say, and maybe some uh, examples of them. So I think the first one we have up here, you put you, you have the outline, so I'll let you take a look that. Okay, oh wait, hold on, let me let me get into the outline real quick. But I, I kind of, I remember it, but I just want to, you know, follow the structure somewhat. But um, yeah, there's several different type of uh, hoteps, right? And um, they have infiltrated um, various aspects of the United States, and uh, hold on real quick. I got to pull that up. Let me just get the link. Okay. So um, I think the best way you can say is let's, how do we identify hoteps and the kind of things that they say? So if, um, so what we're talking about with hoteps, right? Or when we use the term, the pejorative of hoteps, we're talking about extreme black nationalists or pseudo nationalists. So they're likely going to say things like, remember the time when the black man was king. Okay, that's your first red flag. Yeah. Second red flag, the black woman, you know, is mother of the earth, you know, uh, is a goddess. That by itself is not necessarily a red flag, but it comes, but what it is, is it's actually a form of uh, respectability politics because, um, or uh, it be, it's, it's, it's said in a very patriarchal way because what happens when they start acting less than perfect or less than goddesses? Yes. They become bedwenches or traitors or whatever, right? And um, so there's that, there's the sexist underpinning. If they say that homosexuality is a conspiracy, you know, to effeminize the black man yeah. or trans folk or trans, mm -hmm. you know, trans women are a way to, are a form of uh, castration of the black man, usually by the you know who's, then that is also a big red flag because it's part of that conspiratorial mindset. So, um, there are various kinds, so let's kind of go, go into it. I think the first, and this is where a lot of the, where the hoteps gain their ideas, is academic type. So um, one, uh, there's a couple names that really jump out here, but um, I think the big one was a guy named Dr. Ben Jacanon. And uh, he was, and yeah, he was an academic who taught in various uh, community colleges throughout New York, and he wrote one of the uh, a book called "The Black Man and His Family on the Nile." He postulated the idea that all ancient Egyptians were black, and um, you know that the current Egyptians that are living there right now were not black, or you know were not the same ones as the people back then. As to Various um, anthropologists and historians disagree on this, um, you know, obviously, and our idea of race now, you know, doesn't necessarily line up to, you know, whatever it was back then during ancient times, right? We know that they were at least um, not a homogenous society, but um, 
regardless, that's a big one, right? The idea that um, black people or that ancient Egypt is a black civilization. So it's, um, you know, and, and that's where a lot of the term, that's where why we call them hoteps because they tend to be very Afrocentric in terms of their idea of ancient Egypt. And they almost narrowly focus on ancient Egypt. And so Dr. Ben was kind of the big one that kind of popularized it. But the other one um, who, who's part of this academic uh, circle is a woman or was a woman named Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. Now, Frances Cress Welsing was the one who came up, who, she wrote the something called the ISIS papers, right? And she was an academic at the, or she was a professor at the um, Howard University. And she came up with the idea that homosexuality was of course a um, actually not was, um, okay, let me start this again. She came up with the idea that homosexuality was a conspiracy by white people to effeminize the black man. So that way we could be subservient, right? And that homosexuality is not natural to black people. Of course, that ignores all sorts of anthropological and uh, you know, historical research, but you know, they're not known for being historically accurate. You know, it's part of their mythology, their narrative. That's not the point. So, but she came up with that idea. And um, I think more people will know about her through BET's favorite movie of all time, Baby Boy. And you want to know how she's connected to Baby Boy? Because oh. it, it was the beginning of the movie when Tyrese actually quoted her saying, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing said that because of white supremacy in the United States, the black man is a baby. You know, he calls his friends, his boys, his woman, his mama, and his, uh, his home, his crib. So then that, that she's most popular for that. That is where we get, you know, the entire idea for one of the worst movies ever. And BET's <laughs> the one movie they will show nine times out of, t you know, nine times a day because somebody is paying them and, but that is where she is probably most prominent and uh, she passed away in 2016 but um yeah so that so she is one of the big ones and then finally and there's a bunch by the way but the the other one that i wanted to focus on or wanted to bring up was dr leonard jeffries and jazz you had mentioned that there were a lot of these kind of folks in community colleges in new york you know in you know who teach and spread their ideas in community colleges Dr. Leonard Jeffries is the person who probably did this the best because he's the one who came up with the idea of sun people and ice people. And so for those who don't know, black people were originally of the sun. We are the sun people, right? We loved God. We, um, you know, we were harmonious. And uh, you know we were in touch with nature and just all this esoteric nonsense. And the ice people, ooh, they were cold. They had no emotions, no feeling. You know they loved the uh, temperatures of uh, the rich, the frigid north. And those are where all white people come from. And if we understand this, we can go back to being sun people and reclaim our rightful place as you know masters of the world or whatever. So he's the one who really spread and popularized that idea, but he also was responsible for insisting that, and we'll talk about this again a little bit later, that Jews were behind the Atlantic slave trade. 
And um, it always comes back to the Jews. We all exactly. So everything comes back to the Jews. Oh, and when and let me just before we move on say anything else. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing's idea, um, you know, that homosexuality is used to effeminize the black man by, um, you know, uh, white elites. That's literally something the Nazis believed was happening too. They had actually propagated the same idea where it was Jews were creating homosexuality as a way to lower the birth rates of Aryan people. And so that's why that was their justification for why they were killing, um, you know, uh, gay people in, or you know, queer folks in um, Nazi Germany. So it's just important to draw that historical it's, parallel. It's and incredibly important. I, I want to say because... People don't realize, like, even if, I mean, like, you know, we don't align black people or, like, even black nationalism with, like, sort of conservative thought and, and like, not just conservative, but just batshit insane, like, crazy Nazi <clears throat> thoughts, right? Um, but it goes that in that direction. Like, you know, it goes towards the Jews and it goes towards, like, like, you know, it's like, oh, we're really just aligning ourselves with, like, Nazis. Do you guys, that, that, that's what they said back in the day? You don't realize that they said the same exact thing? And it's just like, yeah. and they're, but they're just like, no, nah, the Rothschilds and the, the gays are making us do this. And it's just like, okay, it's what the Nazis, that's what the Nazi said, like, you know, like, yep. almost 100 years ago. So it's like, we're just, <laughs> just like, you're, you're Nazis now, I guess. Like, you're just black Nazis. But, uh, Denzel, go ahead. Uh, uh, what I was going to say is, you know, this is interesting because this is something, a line that can, I, you know, you can, I can trace directly to the present day because I have seen folks around me propagate not, they don't reference the doctor, right, or reference some of these academics, but they do say, you know, and this is, you know, I don't have anything. This is this always the preface. Like, you know, I don't have anything against gay people, but you got to realize at some point, if there are too many of them, you know, we yeah. can't keep up the population. And like, that's always, that's often how it's, disseminated so i oftentimes see you know this kind of pernicious argument even if it's not you know directly per se even though it is but like kind of directly attacking you know the lgbt community um is essentially this idea right that there are these kind of conspiracies going on with these minority groups that are um you know being propagated to the detriment of the black community i can there's a direct direct lineage you can you can kind of trace between these thoughts the, um, the other thing I wanted to touch on, because you, you brought up Leonard Jeffries, um, and I was like, I, I was thinking about um, the whole, like, what was it, the uh, ice people and the sun people, right? I, I, I did not hear that term until I think maybe just now, maybe someone said it before, but like, I remember hearing a hotep at one point trying to find out, like, he was trying to go in the direction of like, no, white people are just inherently evil. Like, they just yeah. are. And he didn't say it outright, but he was definitely trying to go that way. It's like, you know, there's just some people in this world that are just like certain races of people just born wrong. And I was just like, he's referencing some people and, and, and ice people. And he's just not, he, I mean, I'm pretty sure he didn't know those terms himself, but I'm pretty sure it's just that trickle down of like I, I, ideology and that like, it's like the terms are not there. Right. But the feelings yeah. and the hatred yeah. get passed along. And that's sort of, that's, those are the memes, but that's like, that's, uh, that's the DNA of, temperature just like or just nationalism or yeah pretty much yeah um what okay i see emotep institute on this okay yeah so all right so really briefly fuck? i want to learn more about this does the emotep like have an institute in philadelphia or yes something? Like yes okay really briefly there are okay 
ever since, and I can speak to this because I went to a charter school, you know, uh, created by the former mayor of Sacramento, Kevin Johnson, whom I'm not going to slander today because that would be a whole other thing and I would just go too far. Anywho, but the charter school movement, right, which of course is the idea that um, to use public funding, but you know, essentially to create separate institutions that aren't necessarily held accountable by um, you know, uh, teachers unions or um, the state government, you know, except for test scores. Um, that, kind of, that exploded you know, more so, or got, got to start you know, more so during the 80s and the 90s, during the time of deregulation and a deregulated economy. And in its wake, you saw um, certain academies that uh, preached an Afrocentric education. So the Imhotep Institute, which is in Philadelphia, is one of those institutes, institutions or one of those high schools that teaches young black kids various Afrocentric ideologies. I can't exactly, I can't get, you know, really what it is, you know, I don't know if they're team sun versus ice people there per se, but I just know that through its website, they said, we're trying to push a um, Afrocentric or black, you know, Afrocentric type curriculum. And I don't think it's an accident that they use an Egyptian, a very famous Egyptian doctor or a name, you know, um, to market itself. And same thing with the, uh, the academy in, um, you know, in Atlanta. The only other thing I really know about the school in Philadelphia is um, that three NFL players uh, went there, one of whom is uh, DJ Moore, who's the uh, wide receiver for the uh, Carolina Panthers. Good player, not much, doesn't have much to throw to throw at him, but anywho. Um, but yeah, a lot of these type of institutions, there are plenty, you know, they've kind of been cropping up because again, the charter school movement's been, you know, really big. Um, you know, it's one of the very few things that there's actually bipartisan support for. Um, and it's causing a lot of issues as a result. But um, yeah, they typically, these institutions exist where they're ever, wherever there's, um, you know, a lot of black people. Like, so Philadelphia is like 42% black. Atlanta, you know, that explains itself. There's places in DC, um, in, um, you know, Mississippi that I know of. Uh, I think there's one in California, but I, although I, I don't know if it's still around. And then of course there's some in uh, Detroit, which is huge in charter schools, which is actually the reason why their public school system is really failing um, because they uh, invested so much money, you know, in charter school education, but there are, you know, like kind of HOTEP academies there too, you know, or Afrocentric based learning um, academies there too. So again, I don't know exactly what all these places are teaching what specifically, um, but I can imagine that it's probably not too far from what we've been talking about. And so that's a bit concerning. Um, but Terrifying. again, I, it, it is, I just, you know, I don't want to necessarily say this is for sure what they're doing without actually knowing it. But I know, you know, for a fact that they're teaching something that's probably shouldn't be taught, but a lot of schools are doing that anyway, but still. So, yeah. <sighs> Yeah, <laughs> God, that's scary. Um, <laughs> it's a lot. It's so a it's lot. No, this is all a lot. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I, I thought I had a good understanding of, I mean, I guess I sort of did. I mean, really what I see is just like, 
I, I peep into whatever my dad's watching and tell him to stop watching it, and then maybe he thinks about not watching it. Then I'm just like, oh, they have whole ass academies. Like, they just have, like, schools for this <laughs> shit. Like, they're just churning them out. This is where Hotep yeah. come from. Um, but I guess we'll let's go into this uh, second, uh, or not, yeah, the second uh, type that we have, which is uh, the cult religious that you have. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Obviously, there are those who are esoteric, you know, in nature, those who, you know, are much more religious in nature. And the Nation of Islam was probably kind of the first that, you know, even though we wouldn't necessarily call them, we, we didn't call them hoteps back then, but they were, you know, the ones that kind of popularized the idea that it's okay to meld spirituality or some sort of spiritual underpinning to extreme Black nationalist ideology. Um, this continued with uh, various offshoots, including the five percenters, you know, or the nations of, I, I forget their actual name, but the five percenters. So, you know, they're the ones who came up with a lot of uh, hip hop terminology because a lot of uh, rappers were five percenters back in the day, you know, so like word is bond, G, which stands for God, you know, um, you know, all the, you know, Mecca, all these other various terms. And uh, it, it's, early hip hop, you know, particularly in the 80s and 90s with Gangstar and um, Wu-Tang and, you know, um, uh, Tribe Call Quest were littered with these kinds of, um, you know, various references. But um, in terms of the big one or the one that is probably the most dangerous or was the most dangerous were the uh, Nuwabians. Um, and the Nuwabian cult was created by a former Nation of Islam member named Dwight York. Um, and I think he started it either in New York or Philadelphia. Um, and it is these various beliefs that has no consistency whatsoever. And here's what I mean when I say this. Earlier in his ideology, in the Nuwabian ideology, they said that they were just, you know, Black Muslims. And then they turned into, well, Black people were the original Native Americans who came to this continent. Yeah. And then it was, okay, Dwight is like the son of God. Oh, but he's not just the son of God. He's an alien prophet from outer space. Uh, it, it, yeah. He changed a lot, but his presentation, one thing that did not change was that he, was, he had sexually abused young children. And um, he is actually, you know, um, currently in prison for 260 years or something like that for abusing over 100 children or something. And um, they were most, they reached their peak in the early 90s because they created a compound in, um, I think somewhere outside the outskirts of Atlanta, Georgia called Tamari. And um, it's basically, it was this compound where it looks, it's just based on ancient Egyptian um, architecture. So they had like a pyramid, they had these temples, you know, and uh, they also had, um, you know, people within like a nearby city who were like on the police force and they were helping them and you know it was it was really really crazy and but it was just this entire compound and they had like just all this ancient egyptian you know um you know architecture and everything and you know that's where he was doing like the majority of his crimes you know where he was sexually abusing young boys and girls and um you know or just young children in general and 
Um, yeah, he was arrested in the late 90s and then sentenced to like over 100 years in prison. And the Nawabians still exist, but they're not what they used to be. And um, but, you know, you'll, you'll find some who will argue with you on the streets or they'll argue with the black Hebrew Israelites. who we'll talk about later. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they are definitely like what you would call a hotep kind of cult. Um, and um, again, before the term even existed or before we started calling them that. But, yeah, they, they're a very particular they were a very particular dangerous group. And it was, of course, not coincidental that this happened during the same time as like the Branch Davidians and, you know, um, I, I forget who the, the one that, the cult that committed suicide when the Hale-Bopp comet came in 99, Heaven's Gate. Yeah, Heaven's um, Gate, yeah. Yeah, so they, they were all kind of fermenting and, you know, they were all coming about at the exact same time, you know, and they, they got their start in the 70s, you know, but then they just all, you know, fell apart during the 90s, more or less. So. I just Googled this like Tamari compound just to get the image. And it's it's crazy, man. It's like a whole ass like little society that they yeah. took here. Um, it, yeah. That was pretty crazy. Yeah. And it, it's hard to pinpoint their beliefs, except that Dwight York is the greatest thing ever. Oh, this happened. That's it. Yeah. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, they built it. Uh, it got torn down by the state, um, I think, uh, about some months after. I see the teardown, like, picture right underneath. Like, it's, it's like, glory. Apex of their glory, and then right next to it, yeah. it's just like a sphinx, like, shattered. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah, but the earth didn't swallow it whole. Yeah. They, they just, they're just there. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Um, so. I guess, because um, I, I want to be also just, like, of course, mindful of time, but, like, um, Cause I'm really, I really want to get into ADOS. And so I think, uh, I think I, I always, we'll do a brief thing about ADOS, but right now, um, there's comedic rivalist and that's something I have never heard of ever. Okay. Um, so really briefly, I put comedic rival revivalists Revival. for this reason. Okay. So chemitism, which chemitism, which again comes from the ancient Egyptian word Kemet, which means black land. That's what they called themselves, you know, okay. um, in ancient Egypt, Kemet. Kemet or Kemetism is basically called a is a revivalist religion. And what that is, is they worshiped the old gods from ancient Egypt. And it's called a revival religion because literally Kemetism died out when Christianity was introduced to ancient Egypt or Roman Egypt uh, during like the, um, I want to say the mid 300s AD, BCE, whatever. And uh, so it's a revival religion. Now, I, it's oh, there aren't that many chem, chem or Kemetic groups that are what we would call hotep. Some of them are just, you know, ancient Egyptians who, you know, worship the, or some of them are just Egyptians who worship, you know, um, uh, you know, the old gods. And, and then, of course, some of them are just, you know, whoever worshiping the old gods. But some, you know, meld uh, Kemetism with you know black nationalist ideology so they're 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 not really as prominent you know um because again like revival religions tend not to be that popular because you know they're not specific to our time they didn't come as a result of what's happening now right like our religious understandings but you know there are some you know hoteps that are that so it was just important to put that out there so yeah so that's that's good because i actually like never heard of that in my life there's um, some people so yeah it's just it, it happens you know that there, there are revival religion and they're not that popular yeah and so where do you want to direct this then 
Um, yeah, you know, I, I definitely want us before we run out of time to get into prominent grifters, but how about you, you kind of touch on ADOS jazz. And then I think we can, we can kind of talk about grifters and relate it to YouTube radicalization. Cause I just have, yeah, yeah, we, we, uh, we can that. definitely, uh, do that. That's a good way to sort of connect the both. I mean, with ADOS, that's, um, African descendants of slaves. I didn't, I mean, it's underneath the Hotep, uh, like sort of outline part. I mean, when I see it, I think of it, I mean, I think of like these, these sort of YouTube people that my uh, dad taught. Like, that's actually the word first. It's term. That's where I got the term from. was like, my dad would always talk about ADOS. Like, Oh, do we get reparations? And like, it's, is it because, you know, we're only like a little bit, uh, we might not be like descendants of slaves in America, in, um, in North America. We might be descendants of slaves in like another country. And it's like, and then I started like listening to more of the videos or just like what, listening to him talk about them. It's just really just like, really, it's just like separating who gets reparations in the end of the day, like in America. And it's just like, oh yeah, not those black people, but these black people. Oh, if you mix though, like if you're, if you're like not 10 generations pure black. <laughs> I, I definitely heard uh, someone say, um, I was like, it's like, you don't, you don't get reparations. And then that's basically where I, that's, that's like my best summation or summary of ADOS or that thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, American descendants of slaves. I, I know there are some Hotep and we'll talk about the grifters, you know, like Tariq Nasheed and, you know, uh, Hotep Jesus and some of these others, you know, who are this, it's basically just like, it melds American nationalism with black nationalism. So it's like, it's black American nationalism, yeah. but you know, it's like, yeah, we're Americans. And, you know, and that's the important point to highlight this. They're not Pan-Africanists, you know, not, not in any real meaningful way, you know? So it's like, yeah, this idea of who gets reparations versus who doesn't, I don't even know who really started it, but uh, I know that it was like on Boyce Watkins' channel. And for those who don't know who Boyce Watkins is, he's basically this hustler dude who, you know, managed to con people into believing that he was brilliant. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's where this whole ADOS thing was, came from. And it just, it, it's been growing in steam somewhat, but it's, it's just nonsense. And but yeah. it is important to highlight there that there are a lot of, you know, hoteps who do, you know, what they'll put on their profile, you know, hashtag ADOS, you know, oh, yeah. and, um, the American flag, you know, just to make it more clear. You know? that, that's, that's such a strange thing because I don't feel, feel like they would do that. But I mean, I've seen crazy things recently where I was just like, yeah, of course, they'd be black American uh, nationalists. That makes sense. Um, the So I, I think I had a segue into the prominent grifters, which was um, uh, like just going, of course, going back to my dad watching YouTube videos. Right. Right. Um, he always says to me, oh, you should listen to these people. They have a doctorate in something. And I was like, a doctorate in what, dad? And then I'm what school? And it was like, and then eventually he's like, oh yeah, it's probably some like online college maybe or like, or not, I, I don't know how, but like, I was just like, I was just like, it, maybe they have degrees in something that's not actually this field. Maybe it's like something like education or something else. Like, but like, it's, uh. They sort of, they're very charismatic people, right? Like the, the Hoteps are like the, the black nationalists. Like they're just, they're very charismatic people and yeah. they have some sort of uh, degree that gives them sort of credibility to talk about nonsense, right? So yeah. it's like, um, so they're able to, they're able to put them and then we're going to talk about the, like, you know, the prominence or like the, I guess how YouTube sort of rose these people to prominence because it made people have a better way to like it gives it gives them a plat literal platform like online platform to 
get their ideas out there and get more people to like link into it and sort of just like you know fall down that rabbit hole um because for some reason the user algorithm just leads straight to them they're at the very bottom like i don't know what to call it um but um of course i feel like everybody on twitter and everybody that's in black twitter knows who dr umar johnson is a little <laughs> bit not not completely i feel like people yeah. know the memes they got the they have the video of him going to like no. pictures of, of, of girls yes. or just him going like i beg your pardon <laughs> I beg your pardon. We were literally. I was. I was talking about that Umar Johnson react memes earlier. It's like yeah. whenever you see like a brother with like a white woman, <laughs> like it's it's immediately like all the Twitter comments. It's just black Twitter going in with like screen caps or videos uh, of, of Umar Johnson. It's like Umar Johnson with a Photoshop koofy yeah. and him just going with yeah. like the red eyes. Going, oh! <laughs> Like yeah. one of those, and like, and always with the hands on their face, like they're really thinking about something prominent. Like I'm telling you this, you know, and like breaking it down. And it's just so, like, no. So I feel like, well, I I really wanted to to talk about Umar Johnson and kind of relate it like into this because it still happens for me. It's just like the algorithms, man. They pick it up. Like they see that. Like I like a couple of like black you know social activist pages and it's like oh you want to see money mindset clips of like umar johnson in the oh. breakfast club i yeah. swear this clip of like umar johnson talking about the black family on the breakfast club i see it like at least like a few times a month Same. um in my yeah. feed but i i really think it goes oh. to say like someone who isn't you know like us who doesn't do a huge amount of research on these things but is just casually on the internet maybe just on facebook or youtube or instagram and they'll call up come up on their explorer and you'll see this clip of this guy. Oh, he's Dr. Dr. Umar Johnson. He must have a PhD in African-American history or something from a prominent institution. Um, and you see this clip and, you know, you see these out of context clips. Um, and I think people, it really leads many people to believe like, wow, this is so profound. This is such profound thought. But yeah. like a lot of times it's just these guys who are hacks just kind of <laughs> yeah. saying shit or like, trying to promote their brand or just saying things yep. that, you know, don't really check out, but there's enough kernels of truth there. It's like, you know, the black man is oppressed by this well, white supremacist system. And it's like, okay, yes, the, yes. The, the, and the initial videos that we see, yes. right? The ones that show up on your explore feed are the ones that are just like, yo, you know, black people need to like, of course, like, you know, need to rise up against the man and they need to like, you know, find themselves like fighting against like the system. And like, it's stuff like that that gets you going, oh yeah, this guy's saying some cool stuff. He's just like, you know, like it starts off with something easy that like easy to yep. digest, right? And then eventually he starts talking about stuff that makes you feel good. It's like, yeah, black people, we're the regional people of the earth. You know, we grew up from here and like, you know, we're from yep. the ground and we're from the sun and all this other stuff. And you're like, okay, yeah, man, you sound a little crazy, but you know, like that makes me feel good in my heart. And then he's like, the Jews. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, or they, it's like... they, go a, they go a couple steps before the Jews. Oh they yeah. It'll be like, like homosexuals oh, and women. Yeah. Know, homosexuals, women. And if you're mixed, you're kind of weird. So like yep, wash yep. your mouth. Don't ever talk to me. And then, oh, yep. especially the ones where it's like Umar Johnson slams uh, feminists, extreme feminists in the crowd. Like yeah. you know, some lady comes up. She's like, yo, I think you're full of shit. And he's like, you're a dumb person. Like I saw, yeah. I saw the videos. It's like a lot of that. Basically but, it's like, it's Ben Shapiro, but more charismatic and with a less annoying voice. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it's like, uh, you know, and listen, listen to me, brother. You see when your woman, you know, <laughs> wants to work and have rights, 
that tells you that she is not with the black mindset. Like it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. it's just like all of these things that exist kind of in every society, but just couched in like a black liberation language or ideology. Yeah. And it's yeah. just yeah. And you have to watch it in a sequence. Like they give it to you in a sequence that helps you like ease it into you because you can't like if you if a, if someone watches it like I'm even if like if someone watches a video of Umar Johnson saying oh yeah you know women shouldn't should be just at home and uh like taking care of the house and taking care of the kids right that's what a black woman's job is right that's if you watch yeah. that video you're not you're kind of be like oh he sounds kind of sus never mind but if you watch the videos that lead up to that right then yeah. you then then you sort of like get into it. it's like oh yeah you know black women they're queens. And they have to be taken care of and be treated as such in the house. And you should be working hard so that she doesn't actually have to go out and do nothing. And yeah. it turns it. Then then you watch the next video. It's like, yeah, don't let her outside the house. She should. She doesn't have the money mindset. You know, you got to stay. Uh, you got to be working. She could take care of the house. Well, that's what her job is. And that sounds more convincing, right? I see. Yeah. I see. Nice looking at the chat. Or she's in the chat. She. She's like, oh, that makes. Yeah, she's getting into it. Never mind. But um, <laughs> let's. Let's, uh, I mean, let's talk about, I want to talk about Umar Johnson. I want to talk about, like, what big thing happened that got him, got him, Ray Rose with stardom, and then fucking crashed immediately. I saw yeah. it happen in a month. It was yeah, freaking it amazing. Happened. So, okay, um, b- before you talk about Umar, you have to talk about Tariq Nasheed. Okay. <laughs> and the reason why is because it was his, um, it was because of him that, you know, Umar Johnson started to gain a national audience. And here's what I mean when I say this. Tariq Nasheed originally started off in the early 2000s as a pickup artist, right? So he wrote these really crappy books, these three books about how to get women. And it's usually just him on the cover with like a pimp mink coat, you know, covers like all bling blinged out, you know, and he's giving all this crappy advice as um, to how to pick up women. Right. And this was kind of during the time where self-help books were, you know, really exploding. That's why, you know, you saw Tony Robbins and all these rich dad, poor dad and all these other shitty ass books, you know, being released, you know, that promised to help you become a better person in the age of, you know, late capitalism. But so but after a while, that grift started to, you know, it started to fade. Right. So Tariq Nasheed then goes on to this new thing called Hidden Colors. And what is Hidden Colors? Hidden Colors is a DVD series that purports to have the real truth, the historical truth that they don't want you to know about. And that is that everybody who was famous and did something of accomplishment was secretly Black. Dun, dun, dun. You know, so now all of a sudden it was like, oh, George Washington? Yeah, he was actually a black man. I know that he owned slaves, but he was really a black man. Uh, You know, the people, you know, William Shakespeare, really black. Uh, The Vatican, you know, concealed this information because they're evil. But in actuality, Galileo was a black man. You know, so it was just that's all the entire series is. And it's this purporting this hidden history that they don't want you to know. So how does Umar figure into this? He was one of the people that was interviewed during this, and he was the one that was spouting a lot of these things that Tariq Nasheed used in order to sell his crap. And yes, then of course, what made it, I guess, more legitimate is that then they started, you know, adding these celebrities like, um, or they added Francis Cresswell saying, you know, the Hotep mystery, uh, 
doctor. What was wild is, sorry to interrupt, you know, uh, and I don't know if her team didn't know about this or what, but Michelle Alexander is in Hidden Colors. Yes. Yes. Michelle Alexander is. So she wrote The New Jim Crow, um, a very like prominent mainstream book. I don't like, I do not, I'm almost certain Michelle Alexander is not a hotep. I don't think she'd probably agree (laughs) with most of what was in it, but I like look at it and there's like a clip of her in there. I'm like, why is Michelle Alexander in this and, <laughs> like, and that was like the crazy. third or fourth one too and that <laughs> didn't make no type of sense but you know then it's like all these other celebrities like david banner and michael j white it's like why do i need to hear from them like what are their expertise on these kinds of things but you know so yeah i mean that's kind of how umar got his start because what ended up happening was um you know and he started he more or less kind of started off and we don't even know if he's really a doctor or whatever i mean Apparently, he does have his PhD, but he's always mum about exactly where he got it from. But in any case, um, he claims to be this doctor of psychology, worked in the Philadelphia um, public schools, and his speciality was counseling black boys and everything. And he wrote a book basically talking about the evils of public school for black children, except he uh, didn't explain it in a way that actually used facts. He was just talking about it as like this sort of evil indoctrination or some bullshit like that. But he became big and he got more speaking requests as a result of the Hidden Colors film series. Um, and then, you know, that's how he basically got his grift, you know, more or less started. And then, as you said, Jazz, he somehow rose to the top. And I want to say, you know, like at one point, I mean, what was it, 2017, 2018? Yeah. And as you said, he crashed and burned pretty much around that exact same time. And, you know, um, and it wasn't, And I think part of that was because, you know, he promised to build a school called the Marcus Garvey Frederick Douglass Academy, you know. (laughs) Oh, you never heard of that, did you? It sounds like something out of the boondocks. (laughs) I mean, yeah, and it's basically, and he raised like $300,000 for it, and uh, none of that money went to go to the school, and he hasn't built it yet, and... um, I don't know. Uh, seems like he probably hustled all these people of their money, but essentially, yeah. I mean, Umar became like the biggest, you know, figure of them all. And it was through YouTube, it was through Twitter, and it was through, you know, Facebook and sharing all these videos and being on the Breakfast Club, who just likes to invite all kinds of people, you know, because why not? And then, um, you know, through all these various platforms, and he just became bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, you know, that was despite the fact that he had that little scandal where he was sleeping around with the stripper after talking about how he remained celibate and, you know, how he wanted marriage and everything. And he was out here sleeping around with the stripper, but whatever. Um, but that didn't seem to hurt him as much. But, you know, over time, he just, I don't know, he just, he really did crash and burn. And uh, I think part of that was because he had beefs with these other grifters. He had a falling out with Tariq Nasheed. You know, he had that WWE type promo against Sarah Sutton Seti, who calls him, you know, uh, who said we need, you know, he won shit or whatever. So it was just like all these other various things were happening. And But yeah, he's the biggest one. And because he's very comical in his delivery, unintentionally, but still, you know, he's just that kind of guy. And he is charismatic to a certain degree. But yeah. I'm trying to think of like when he got memed out. I think it was more recently. Of course, like 2019, 2020, I think. And then... 
and yeah. now that's when he got memed out but like because I, I could see the degradation of his of his figure and his character and his frame just yes. like 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 it was just like he was always wearing some sort of uh i don't know what's um some sort of like some sort of like really professional garb or just something like that made him look like you know he was about his money about his paper about like you know being professional and being but also yep. being afrocentric and caring about the black community right and he had like a glow to him too but then you see him later now he's just like he's like squatting in some sort of squalor and he's like his camera's in his face and he's just like hey y'all yeah. this is what you need to do to make sure you get out of uh the shitty situation where you scammed a bunch of people all right this is how you get out of the scam all right this is what you do uh you hide like it's just <laughs> yeah. like that yeah and um it's it's um it's it's crazy to see that uh, to see all these like grifters like just like rise up and then turn into memes later on. I mean, I think Umar is going to be there for a while. I haven't. Yeah. I've never heard of Hotep Jesus. I never heard of. Bro, bro, <laughs> I've never heard of bro, Brother oh, Polite. <laughs> like I've never heard of that name ever. Some of these I've definitely seen, like Doctor Sebi definitely, but uh, Doctor Seb, don't get me started on Sebi. Let me just. I love how I love it's in quotation marks, like. Yeah, his name was Alfredo Bowman. He was some hustler <laughs> from Honduras. Like as a as one from one Afro Latino to another, he made me really upset. You know, I was like, oh fuck out of here, you know. Oh God. I was glad when he you know what? No, let me not. I, I wanna talk <laughs> briefly about sort of just the dangers of these grifters as well because i don't think we're gonna like go down and list and talk yeah, about all yeah, of them um but like i there is a danger to them not just like financially but like culturally of course and then there's the um i think what i wanted to get into i'm trying to remember what it was um i just had it Damn it, I forgot it. Anybody have anything else you want to say? Just fill up time for a sec. Go ahead. Well, like, Uh, the thing with Dr. Sebi, like, just getting into that is that, like, he may have, like, he was literally selling medical misinformation. Like, he, like, the thing was, like, this guy may have been directly responsible to people dying. I think he was, uh, I mean, you you can correct me on this, Pino, but I think he was saying he had a cure for AIDS or something that you could get through, like, juices. Like, he, he had these kind of snake oil medicinal yeah. things um, that's that's actually that what i'm putting forth not not specifically yeah. that but just what i wanted to get into is just just the sort of like homeopathic therapy like homeopathic like medicine like you know like non-alternative medicine sort of things that make you healthier like the big thing for me for a while was alkaline water i yeah. alkaline water is bullshit i want to tell this like this is this is just a jazz opinion but a fact it is bullshit um yeah. I just remember this, like, I think a Hotep sort of Griffith guy was, like, teaching at, he, I don't know who gave him a platform to talk at, but he was in some <laughs> classroom, and he was on this, on this chalkboard just going, you know, it's like, you know, pig, pork, we don't eat that, because it's man-made, right. and it's like, and then it's like, you know, uh, he's, like, listing all these man-made, like, foods and items, like, all these things that are man-made, it's like, water? I think he ended up saying it was man-made, but you know, alkaline water, that's what you need to be so you're not acidic. And it was just like, oh, where it's like, this yeah. is shitty science and anyone that, and the reason why it works is because people didn't pay attention in chemistry or had a bad chemistry class and didn't yeah. remember pH or any or acidity or any of that crap. Um, so that's, they're able to sort of just trick people that are not like me and Denzel or like I guess all of us like in this podcast yeah. <laughs> at the moment who are able to just be like 
I remember uh, that from high school. That's wrong, right? And then yeah. um, I didn't, I mean, I, I was going to say I didn't skip class. I definitely did. But um, <laughs> the, like, you know, like most of the people like that are in, they, they get like fooled by this are the people that um, are just like, they just straight up, they're just working class people. They're trying to like, yeah. they find they hard, hard, like work, like life and work is hard. And finding something simple out of just like mango juices and some sort of like leaf that you buy from like a small shop um, or some sort of like comp like mixture of things that you buy offline or you find at like some table at uh, the farmer's market. You think that's like from, sold by like a black person who you think you could trust because they look like they're healthy and nice. Um, they sort of it, it, it's just like this dangerous way to sort of. Like they're just making money, and they believe that the products work, right? Or they yeah. maybe they do, or I don't know. It's just insidious, right? Like, do they actually believe it? But then it's also they're just harming people because you're giving them, you're taking, you're making them believe in snake oil shit when really they need to be taken care of in a different way. And exactly. that's the harm of the grifters. In one aspect, medically, like that's a big thing in black culture. It's like you know, we our health is bad, so why right. are we making it worse with these grifters? Like, what's going on? Um other potential harms that anyone wants to list. It should be three of them since there's three of us here. I got. Yeah. I mean, no, the medical thing is very important. I mean, especially, and um, just given like the conspiracy theories that emerged as a result of when Dr. Sebi died. And then of course, when Nipsey Hussle was tragically murdered. Oh my they, God. Sorry about that. Yeah. That, yeah. that really, that, and that, that pissed me off. Like, Oh, I, I, yeah. The, I the relation there between how Nipsey Hussle was making a documentary on Sebi and he was murdered to to cover that. It was both like disgusting, but also like really terrible, like seeing that. Yeah. Oh. And, and because the fact of the matter is, it's, you know, even though um, it's like his children are going to grow up listening to that and somewhere in the back of their mind, they're going to think, what if it was something more? And, you know, it is possible that that could happen. And that's just, you know, that's what I really, really hate about any kind of conspiracy theory, you know, is because especially when it deals with tragedies like this, it's not fair to the ones who, you know, really, um, the loved ones of those who've passed away, you know, because now in the back of their mind, they're thinking, what if, this person isn't responsible for that? Or what if it was actually nefarious powers? Could they be after me next, you know? And it, it, it's really, really unfortunate that when that kind of thing happens. But yeah, um, to talk about the kind of harm, I guess you can say, yeah, you said medical. Um, I would probably throw in just overall critical thinking, the kind of harm that can come from it, because especially surrounding conspiracy theories, definitely. Yeah, like with, and yeah, I, I'd say yeah, conspiracy theories. That that's really where it can be, because then with conspiracy theories, there's always a nefarious power or an insidious force that is responsible for you know this kind of thing happening, and it can lead to any kind of uh, outgroup, you know. So like. You know, if you blame um, homosexuals or gay people for, you know, and I'm only saying homosexuals because that's literally how they just call them out and talk oh, yeah. about them. It's like the homosexuals, right? Um, if you if you are constantly being taught that gay people are the reason why, you know, um, this various, these uh, unfortunate things are happening within the black community, then that can really per 
pervert your mind into, you know, treating them with absolute contempt and uh, disrespect and obviously, uh, you know, can lead you to violence. And then, of course, misogyny, same thing, right? And one of the names that I listed on there was Shaharazard Ali. And she was actually, she was a woman, but she wrote a book about, you know, black marriages and how, you know, black, how black women need to please their husbands. And one of the solutions or one of the things that she said was that if she mouths off to you, you have the right as a husband to hit her in the mouth. So there's that sort of thing, right? And so when that, it's these kind of conspiracy theory nonsense, this kind of uh, hyper black supremacist, heteropatriarchal um, impulses, you know, those are the things that can really lead to a lot of danger, um, especially when they're being parroted by people or by grifters who people think are actually brilliant. So I actually want to say a quick thing about heteropatriarchy within the black nationalist framework of this podcast. Um, the So like, you know, what we were talking about earlier was just like, you know, black woman is queen and black woman like, you know, doesn't shouldn't have to work and should be staying home. That sounds nice on the surface, of course, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah, you know, just have the dude, like, if he's down to just have me live in the house and takes care of me and I just quit my job, that sounds fine. I just take care of the house and be cool and just we go shopping every once in a while or something like that. That sounds good on the surface. But it also means, like, that you are not, you have very, like, almost no agency. Like, yeah. your agency is to your children, maybe like but also very limited right it doesn't it's not perfect it's just like yeah you get to uh you, you get to i guess dress the kids but make sure they don't look gay and then like there's uh like make sure that we buy this certain types of food make sure, like you know like the shopping list is like probably like I, i've heard of this like the shopping list like you know going to the grocery store is like just super like examinated and they just have to look at it it's like yeah. make sure you're getting these healthy foods and make sure there's alkaline water here definitely get the alkaline water or just like like, you know, the, you don't have the freedom. It sounds great on the surface. Like, oh, yeah, all my shit's taken care of. It's kind of, I'm thinking about, it's kind of like the, uh, never mind. But it's just like, you, you're, it's not the good, it's not, uh, I was going to say, it's not the good patriarchy. No, it's just patriarchy that sucks. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just want to have us mindful for time. I think we're running over a little bit. So I feel like we should wrap up. I feel like there's a lot of interesting stuff still that we have to talk about, which Absolutely. means maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a part two yeah, at I'm some done. point to kind of yeah. touch, to touch on a lot of this, but I feel like this was a really interesting discussion. Um, do you, do either one of you have anything to close out? I have a closing question for Pino. I feel like we could make this uh, a thing. I kind of want to ask <laughs> a non-related question uh, okay. to it, but in, any closing thoughts, Jazz or, or uh, David? Go ahead, Jazz. Um, really at the end of this, like, or with like Hotepetry or just black nationalism, it, I mean, like on YouTube, I feel like the biggest things that, uh, grab people are just like, like even right now, like another danger I just want to bring up real quick is like conspiracy theories, of course, but just like anti-massness too, just like, just people are just like finding all the, like these Hoteps or these black nationalists are finding ways to just make these weird conspiracy theories that make people take their health less seriously, like considering COVID and the pandemic. So that's yeah. a, a huge danger at the moment. Uh, that's something we can also get onto in the next uh, part of this. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, to um, piggyback off what you were saying, yeah, today especially we can see the um, 
poisonous power of uh, conspiracy theories, uh, its general potency. I mean, you, you can inspire a bunch of unorganized, sloppy ass, you know, white folks to basically invade a capital based on a conspiracy theory. And um, while that might look like it's the extreme, I would say it's probably not the extreme, but like the worst probably is yet to come. The problem is that it has been eroded, that conspiracy theories have eroded a lot of critical thinking and have um, led to very undesirable outcomes, particularly for marginalized people within the black community, such as our LGBT um, you know, brethren, and then of course, uh, you know, women of any sexuality, and then um, you know, as well as black people who don't live in the United States or aren't from the United States, you know. So um, it, it is something that we need to, um, we have to be vigilant about. And it's something that I hope that anyone who's listening to this podcast, um, you know, can take away from is that just because you don't hear a lot about hoteps, just because there are, you know, as plentiful as say QAnon supporters, don't take your eye off of them for one second and take them seriously enough to where you can combat it or where you can, you know, really, um, where you can really call it out. So, yeah. And Denzel, you got a question? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I, mean, I, I think all of that is, is uh, so relevant. Yeah, my question for you, Pino, is, you the, the Umar Johnson? No, it's, uh, what, what do you think is the top uh, NFL defense all time? Oh, wow. 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 (laughs) Top NFL defense of all time. Uh, Okay. There's quite a few. I mean, obviously everybody goes with the 85 bears and they certainly have a bunch of hall of famers to show for it. They could jam the line of scrimmage, stop the run. I mean, the passing games evolved to a certain degree. Um, Yeah, I know the 83 Raiders were pretty good. I mean, um, that was the one when they were in Los Angeles, or was it 81 or 83 or 82? Whichever one, whenever they won the Super Bowl um, in LA. Um, The New York Giants under, you know, um, Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. I mean, that, you know, with Lawrence Taylor and Harry Carson, I mean, that that was a dominant team. One team I will bring up uh, that a lot of people don't always think about, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a fan of them, but is the uh, 1989 and 90 49ers. Um, they had they were the first team to have the number one offense and number one defense that year. Um, they weren't as big up front, you know, uh, as a lot of these teams were, but with Ronnie Lott, you know, really patrolling the backfield, and they had enough good linebackers, and they were able to cover everybody, and that's a defense that a lot of people don't think about um, in terms of dominance, but also 2000 Ravens. I mean, sure. Ray Lewis might be, yeah. uh, I have mixed feelings on him <laughs> for various reasons, but um, I hope he's not listening to this, but um, you know, yeah, you, uh, he might show up at your home. Later. Right? I don't know, he might show up in my home and he's either going to, and he's either going to do what he allegedly did in his cream suit or worse. He's going to give me a sermon. And I, I, should, I would much rather <laughs> decrease <laughs> I can't do all that. I can't do that. Come on, man. But yeah, I mean, that 2000s Ravens defense, I mean, you know, with him and um, what's his name? Uh, Rod Woodson, you know, in the backfield. I mean, that, that was an amazing. Uh, yeah. And Ed Reed. Uh, yeah. or wait, well, was no, Ed, Ed Reed was later. Ed, Ed, Reed, was Ed later. Reed was later. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, uh, he, was, he was playing for the U at the time. And that was one of the most dominant college football teams ever. So, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, I'm, I, I'm, surpri- I'm not surprised, but I, I think it's a different era, but you left off the uh, kind of 2013, 2014 Seahawks, which I feel oh, like yeah. deserves some recognition yeah, because they do. They do. it's so easy to pass in this era. So they were, uh, that in there. they were the most dominant cover three defense of all time, in my opinion. I mean, the Legion of Boom. Then, of course, you had, you know, their linebacker core. They had Cliff Averill, you know, um, Bobby uh, Wagner, you know, manning the middle. Um, you know, I swear I'm not trying to get too many hurt feelings. So I was a Niner fan and I just <laughs> fell to them. But, um, you know, uh, but yeah, yeah, that 2014 Seahawks was dominant. 2016 Broncos also. I mean, they were amazing. What they did to Cam Newton at the Super Bowl, you know, with uh, Von Miller and all of them. I mean, that, that was quite a squad. But. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to compare eras. Um, I know some people would go with like the Lombardi Packers as being a dominant defense. And there's there's a bunch, you know, and it's kind of hard to get into. But yeah, I mean, any other unrelated questions or? (laughs) uh, That was it. Just to to change the mood, we're experimenting with it. We'll we'll see how it goes. I mean, like, do you want me to keep this in? (laughs) Can I upload this to Spotify? (laughs) I don't care. I, I think I think it's fine. It's 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 a it's a thing I've seen in other podcasts. Kind of like usually it's like book recommendations or just a recommendation. But I'm like, yeah, you know, we ask questions. But I feel like I don't know if I want to if we should keep it the same. Maybe we can ask it pertaining to the guests. But yeah. oh no, definitely based on like whoever the guest is. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's all good. It is what it is. But yeah, I mean I'm a sports junkie. Uh, I'm not that kind of person when it comes to sports i swear to god um i'm trying to get off of college sports i really am because i fucking hate the ncaa um but you know yeah like i'm pretty knowledgeable about this stuff i'm not bragging i'm just like it's it's one of those things where i like to study so yeah no it's like jazz with uh gundam and uh attack on titan lore or me with world war ii history or you with world war ii history really but you know we all have our thing yeah, right. <laughs> World War II history. My dad is too much into that stuff. And that's just because he watches all those crappy documentaries on the History <laughs> Channel, <laughs> which is less offensive now. I mean, it's it's better than the ancient aliens crap, you know, but still. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Well, David, thank you for, for joining us for the Black Cats. Uh, we appreciate we're doing it. a part two, right? We're doing a part yeah, two. No, yeah, no, yeah, I we're, think we're, we're, yeah, we're going to have good. to do a part two. Good, yeah. It's good. I'm excited. we got to get into the... Yeah, because we got to get into the anti-Semitism and uh, particular, and then of course uh, how it affects like modern celebrity culture as well. Yes, know, definitely. Nick Cannon and all them other boys, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, I was gonna say something else about that. The never mind, I forgot. I guess never mind. Fuck. <laughs> it's all good. It happens. That, that was that the closing remarks. Are we good then? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. All right. Thank y'all for joining and listening the live viewers, but also people on Spotify or probably Spotify because I don't think anybody has used anything else. Um, we'll be on soon for another podcast, another episode, part two of this black nationalism stuff. <laughs>